What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you to become a saint and you walk toward eternity. Here's how the show goes. You hit me up with your own questions and I will then spend time with them and they could be questions about morality or spirituality, relationship advice, evangelization, catechesis, the list goes on. I will then sit with them, pray, study, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you to become a saint and you walk toward eternity. But my disclaimer is this, I'm not perfect. Therefore, the advice I share with you might not be good for you. If that is the case, please reject whatever it is that I say that is not good for you and you can correct me as well. Um, but if my advice is helpful, no difficult, then I really want to give you the encouragement to lean into Jesus Christ in prayer and in sacrifice and suffering so that God could give you the graces that you may need over time to fulfill the demands of discipleship. If you are a first-time listener, you can get up with your own questions at www.assistantpress.com slash askfatherjosh. That's A-S-K-F-A-T-H-E-R-J-O-S-H. You can also rate us and review us on iTunes and other podcast formats. This helps other people to find out about the show. And finally, you can share us on your social media pages. If the show is a gift for you, potentially it could become a gift for other people as well. On today's show, we are going to address two topics. We're going to talk about Jesus healing the demoniac in scripture, and we're also going to talk about the stigmata. But before we get to those two questions, I want to share with you a glory story. So my glory story is... um, it's again it's, it's simple y'all it's just the word of god is so so beautiful so good and um it's been really beautiful for me lately to experience how i perceive something in prayer and then that which i've been perceiving in prayer has been later confirmed in the word of god like almost immediately after and then i've been experiencing that in real life and so it's like i'll like perceive this thing in prayer i'll journal about it then i go to to scripture uh and randomly as scripture come up in the liturgy of the hours or in the, the daily mass readings uh not randomly providentially and and then after that i'll like i'll journal that down and then within like a month like that stuff would like it would basically take place where that which the lord invited me to enter into our experience would would happen and and the graces that I've been able to uh, persevere, I guess you could say, uh, in relationship with Jesus in the midst of these things that are happening because of what happened in prayer first, because of what word I perceived him speak to me and confirm in scripture. So, yeah, I'm just super grateful for the word of God, um, for for that confirmation um, that comes from from relying on his voice and discerning everything through the lens of his voice. Uh, so, yeah. Mm. So good. Uh, feedback comes in today from John. John writes, my wife is a convert to Catholicism. Your podcast was the first Catholic podcast that fed her faith and helped her to take the leap. So thank you. Uh, John, praise God. I'm so grateful that your wife did take the leap into the deep, into our faith. And uh, I will pray that the two of you both uh, enter into a deeper intimacy, not only with each other, but most importantly, with your Savior, with our Savior, Jesus the Christ. All right, let's go ahead and jump into today's show.
right, so first question also comes in from John. John writes about Jesus healing the demoniac. Hi, Father Josh, long time listener, first time question submissioner. In Mark 5, we have the story of Jesus healing the, the garrison demoniac. There's an element of the story that I've been praying with for a long time, and I would love for your insight on it. The demon, Legion, asked to be sent into a herd of swine. I've always wondered why Jesus grants his favor to the unclean spirit, especially at so great a cost to the Gentile herdsmen. This action is not only financially hurtful to the herdsmen, it also causes a great hardness of hearts in the people Jesus is visiting. They immediately ask Jesus to leave. How do we understand this action? It seems almost like a moment of compassion toward the unclean spirit. In addition, Jesus would have known that the swine were valuable to the Gentiles of Gerasene, and certainly the spirit did not trick Jesus, trying to find a way to subvert his mission to the Gentile region. It's just been a hard element of the story for me to understand, and one that I feel doesn't really get touched on in sermons or in Bible studies. This comes from John. One second, John, let me open up my Bible so we can actually read the passage together, and then we could dive into it. So, Mark chapter 5, almost there, getting kind of slow with my age. I'm a whole 33 years old. I'm an old man. All right, here we go. Actually, you know what? Let's read that passage in the context of the story that precedes it, because what a lot of people don't realize is that this story is actually one long story. So the story of Jesus calming the sea is directly connected to this story. And the exorcism that we experience in Mark chapter 5 actually begins in Mark chapter 4. So let's start Mark chapter 4. It says this. Oh, wait a minute. I got a letter in here. One of my journal letters. Check that out. Wow. That's so awesome. I uh, love letters. All right. So Mark chapter 4, 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them just as he was in the boat. And other boats were with him. And a great storm of wind arose and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care if we perish? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you afraid? Have you no faith? And they were filled with awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. And when he had come out of the boat, there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who lived among the tombs. No one could bind him any more with even a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But the chains he wrenched apart and the shackles he broke in pieces and no one had the strength to subdue him because demons have supernatural strength. All right, y'all. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him and crying out with a loud voice. He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him eagerly, do not send them out of the country. Now a great herd of swine was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, send us to the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them leave, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine in the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. 
The herdsmen fled and told it in the city, in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there clothed in his right mind, the man who had the legion. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told what happened to the, to the demoniac and to the swine, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their neighborhood. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that night that he may go to be with him. But he refused and said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the men marveled. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. This is good. The word of God gets me sometimes. So back to your question, John. So a few things. So first I want to talk about the exorcism. Number one, the exorcism began in Mark chapter four. The apostles were in the boat with Jesus. There's a storm that was going on. They had no idea that that was a demonic attack. They thought it was just a random storm. Now they were scared. That storm was bad. It was a bad storm. So they tried to wake Jesus up. Hey, calm the storm. He did rebuke the winds. Be quiet. Be still. He was actually rebuking the demons and the winds because demons can manipulate the weather. And what happened is, is demons and angels, both alike, are not God. They are really intelligible and they're really smart. And they have a really good job of like assuming what's going to happen next because they watch us day and night, both good angels and bad angels. And so they don't know the future, but they definitely are good at perceiving what can happen. And so these uh, demons in this case are um, able to perceive like, whoa, like this guy we've been possessing, Legion, many demons were in him. Like they were like, whoa, something bad's about to happen for us because we don't know what's going to happen, but we could sense that if Jesus gets here and those apostles get here, then this man's going to be liberated. And we don't want that to happen. So they try to stop them from getting to them by causing this storm. You might experience that in your life whenever you are getting ready for a sacrament, like a wedding uh, or marriage um, confirmation, your first communion, your first reconciliation baptism of your children right that's when all the stuff hits the fan that is not just randomly happening in your life when all the crazy stuff happens that is the demonic sometimes attacking you because they recognize if you receive the sacrament then something big might happen for the kingdom of god and they might be defeated so jesus rebukes them in the sea and then he gets to the land and when he gets to the land he frees this demonic person and he sends this the the, the demons into the swine and so the exorcism was finally completed on the land. So uh, why did this happen? And, and then the swine went and jumped into the water and they drowned. Well, a, f a few reasons. Some of this is it's reminiscent of the Old Testament. Um, the enemies of God drowned in the sea. So Pharaoh and his people drowned in the actual waters, right? Whenever Moses said, let my people be free and the Israelites were freed and the waters opened up for them, they were protected by the waters. Um, like we are saved in baptism. First Peter chapter three, verse 21, St. Peter says we are saved in baptism. That's where we're born again. But the enemies of God are drowned in that water, right? They're drowned. So when we're baptized, we receive something we didn't have before, which is grace. And so there is a lot of symbolism that's happening right there in the scripture. But also we might say, well, why would Jesus do that? Because like that's kind of like, what, what if that's how the people made a living off that swine? Well, the thing is this, uh, according to God's law, swine are unclean animals. You're not to eat, eat them or, or really be in relationship with them in the Old Testament. And Leviticus, we read this from Moses that we're not supposed to do this. And so uh, there might be a few things that are happening here. One thing that could be happening is some of the swine could have been owned by Jewish people, by, by Jews, and Jews can't have swine. So that could have been Jesus's way of, of also being like, hey, yo, like you better be obedient to the word of God, Jewish people. You're not supposed to have that. But if they were Gentiles that were owning the swine, which is there's a good chance that most of the people in that land were Gentiles, then 
um, Jesus could also be saying to them, hey, like there are consequences for you not fully submitting to the word of God, the objective truth of, of the fullness of the word of God. Like the Gentiles might have accepted some of the scripture, but not all the scripture. And Jesus is saying, it's all or nothing right now. Like you're either in it to win it or you're out. You can't have it your way. Like a lot of us try to manipulate God and do relationship with God on our terms. And so there is oftentimes suffering when we do that, right? Whenever, if I say, I don't want to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ in the sacraments, then I'm going to be missing out on something. And so Jesus Christ didn't find a bunch of churches. He founded one church. He founded one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Other Christian communities were founded by men and founded by women. They were not founded by God. God only founded one church. And so there's a lot of people who are without. They're missing out because they don't have the fullness of the sacraments that God has given to us in the church. They don't have the fullness of the scriptures. They don't have the fullness of the tradition that God has handed down to us from the apostles and their successors. And so quite oftentimes they go without. But also this can be... Um, something that we could think about with regards to the Eucharist right now, the Eucharist is all of the news. Praise be Jesus Christ. Like Jesus Christ is being spoken about on the news. And uh, even if it's for controversial reasons, but he's still being proclaimed right now in the media. And so the thing is this, St. Paul says that if you receive the Eucharist, which is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, he says it in John chapter six, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And John, and and, and the, and the um, at the last supper, he also said, this is my body, this is my blood. All right, so it's not a symbol, it's, it's really Jesus. And St. Paul, who wasn't there, talks about receiving the Lord unworthily. And he says, if you receive the Lord unworthily, there are consequences. Not only are there uh, spiritual consequences, which we always talk about, why we say if you're in mortal sin, if you have grave matter, you should not receive communion. But there are also physical consequences. There's temporal consequences. St. Paul says that some of you are sick and dying because you are receiving the Eucharist, the body and the blood of the Lord, unworthily. This is huge. A lot of us like to ignore this passage. Like, this is why in the, in the Catholic Church, we really invite people to examine their conscience before they come forward and present themselves to, to God in Holy Communion. Because we don't want you to get sick and die on a temporal level, and we don't want you to have even worse things happen on a spiritual level. So because the Gentiles, if they were all Gentiles, I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of Gentiles there, but not all of them, um, were disobedient to um, the commands of God in, in Leviticus, uh, then that could be Jesus's way of saying, hey, look, like this ain't ain't cool what you're doing. Now, it, your questions, you said something very interesting. You said it seems like uh, Jesus was being compassionate to the demoniac. So here's something that I, I've heard from different exorcists who I've um, walked with and journeyed with and accompanied. Jesus doesn't want us to be prideful whenever we do deliverance ministry. He doesn't want us to go out into deliverance ministry to torture demons. Like some, I think some people have this wrong mindset of like, oh, I want to go, like I want to go fight demons and torture them because you know all this bad stuff that demons have done to humanity or whatever. And so there's two different schools of thought here. One school of thought was that yeah, Jesus was being somewhat compassionate in the way that he did the deliverance because he wanted to teach the apostles to, to approach deliverance ministry with humility. Like, look, you, you cast out the demon, but you, you don't have to like sit there and whatever. So that, that's, that's one school of thought. There are other schools of thought, though, that would totally disagree with that school of thought and say that he was not being compassionate, um, that it appeared to be that way. But they there's no official church, church teaching on that. There, there's just different exorcists to have different schools of thought, uh, which is why it's, it's, it's good for us to, to be open to to listening. And this is why pride gets in the way of a lot of us 
in a formation because pride helps it makes us think that we know more than everybody and like oh well if this exorcist says it then i'm only gonna listen to this one i'm not going to be open to to being corrected by another one so there are different schools of thought with whether or not he was being compassionate i don't know is the ultimate answer but um i'm just going to present to you those cases and let you sit with them and discern them yourself so that was that's what i think about that that question great question great scripture great story all right, let's take a break. And when we get back, we're going to dive into our final question about the stigmata. Reading the Bible is something we as Catholics know we should do. But let's be honest, it can be kind of complicated. Even though it's a complete story, the Bible isn't really one book. It's more like a library with dozens of books and dozens of genres. There's poetry, prophecy, and prose. There are apocalypses and revelations historical accounts and allegories. No wonder it's difficult to keep a finger on the story of God's love and plan of salvation for his people, the thread that keeps all of it together. If you're wishing there was a simple guide to help you tie all of this together, then you're just like Jeff Cavins and Tim Gray. That's why they wrote the book, Walking with God. Walking with God is a single book that traces the story that ties the Bible together. It helps you to understand the big picture of the Bible. If you're looking to read more of the Bible, Walking with God will help you do it with confidence, peace, and clarity. You can find out more and order Walking with God on ascensionpress.com or on Amazon. All right, last question comes in from D. Adi writes about the stigmata. Hello, Father Josh. I have a question about the wounds of Christ and stigmata. Can you explain the discrepancy between the stigmatas on the hands, specifically the palms that appear on certain saints versus what historians tell us how crucifixions were done by nailing through the wrist and not the palms? Even the Shroud of Turin shows Jesus' wrist as the placement of the nails. Does the church have an official teaching on this? Thank you. Love your show and look forward to every episode D. D, thank you so much. Uh, one of my good friends in high school, her name was D-A. It was D-E-E-A-D-A. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. We've been friends since preschool, me and D-A. We met each other in preschool. Yeah, long time. I got a picture of us at my preschool birthday party. On to your question, though. So stigmata, I love the stigmata. So first of all, what is a stigmata? Stigmata is the mystical experience that many people in the body of Christ, some who are servants of God, some who are venerable, some who are blessed, some who are saints, and some who are none of the above, have experienced in their walk toward eternity where they experience the wounds of Christ in the hands, on the feet, in the side. The crown of thorns can appear around the, the forehead. The, the lashes can appear on the back and on the shoulders. So there's different experiences that have been manifested throughout salvation history and the lives of different people in the body of Christ. So why is there discrepancies between what some people experience in this phenomena called stigmata and what some historians say actually happened? Well, there isn't always discrepancy. Um, there are some people, including saints, who receive the stigmata actually in the wrist. St. Francis of Assisi received his stigmata in the wrist and not in the palms. But there are also others who did receive the stigmata in their palms, like St. Padre Pio. We have like pictures of him. You could Google him. You could see actual pictures of his hands where he had the wounds of Christ in his hands. It's pretty beautiful. My mom had a devotion to Padre Pio my whole life. 
We have his, his relics at my house. We have his pictures at my mom's house. And I was actually ordained on his birthday, May 25th, to the, to the uh, diaconate. So uh, I believe that it's through his intercession that I became a priest because of my mom's proximity to him. But that's another story. So the discrepancy is this, is that, first of all, let me say this. Technically speaking, we don't know right, historically if the nails went in the in the palms and they maybe came on the other side through the wrist, therefore they could have been both and not necessarily either or. It could have been both the palms and the wrist that Jesus Christ experienced the, the nail. Some mystics have seen visions of the passion where they saw that Jesus had a nail in his right hand, a left hand, and two separate nails in his feet. Other mystics have seen visions where Jesus had a nail in the right hand, the left hand, um, and only one nail that goes to both feet. So there's all these different visions that these different saints have had. And that's not to say that, oh, well, they're, like this saint was right and this saint was wrong. Like, sometimes what the Lord does, whether it's how many nails he was crucified with or where the actual holes happened in his hands, whether it was the palm or the wrist, a lot of times what God does is God communicates to us in a way that we can personally receive, that we can perceive what's got like, like a deep intimacy with him. And so like whenever Mary appears in apparitions, the mother of God uh, she appears looking like the people who she's appearing to. So in Africa, she was black. Fatima, she was white. Um, in some of her other uh, apparitions, she appeared as an Asian woman. So like all over the world, Mary appears like the people she's she is appearing to in a way that they can receive her and whether they could perceive her. And so that's what God does as well with the stigmata. He will give it to people, members of the body of Christ, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, in a way that they may have seen it in artwork. And so maybe Padre Pio saw the stigmata in artwork on the palms. So that would be the best way for him to be able to be um, abiding relationship with Jesus Christ crucified is to experience in the palms because that is his lived experience of watching, looking at artwork. And potentially St. Francis of Assisi read stories or saw artwork about the nails being in the wrist. And that's why he received it in the wrist. So when God gives a stigmata to people, it's not because this is a specific place where the actual wound necessarily was, but it's the place that you believe it was. And so he gives it to you in a way that is going to help you to abide in a deep intimacy with him. These, these gifts are given to us as a personal gift for our own relationship with Jesus Christ to be nurtured, to be strengthened, to um, help us to persevere and be sustained in our, in our walk toward heaven. So that's why um, some saints received it on the wrist, some on the hand. And so, yeah, historically, it looks like it was in the wrist, um, according to the, the shroud and some other things, uh, documents. But at the same time, it could have been both hands, could have been the palm and the wrist. Uh, but we just, honestly, we don't really know. But we do know is that when God gives these gifts, these supernatural gifts of the stigmata to people, it's purely for them to be able to um, abide in a deeper intimacy with God. And, and also for them to be a bridge for us to have deeper faith in Jesus Christ crucified, who St. Paul preaches in the New Testament. He says, I preach Jesus Christ crucified. So, yeah, um, let me know if that was an adequate response to your question. It's more of a personal gift, basically. Yeah. If I had a, a specific devotion to the, the shoulder wound of Jesus, then, you know, um, and it was always the right wound that I saw in artwork, then I might get a shoulder wound stigmata. But what if the historical Jesus had it in his left his left shoulder? Well, Jesus is going to still give to me my right shoulder because that's the way that I've cultivated intimacy with him. So that's what I got to say. So let's do a prayer. I think uh, I, feel, I feel called to pray the uh, Ignatius of Loyola prayer. It's called the Suchipe prayer thing or whatever it's called. It's really beautiful. In the name of the Father, 
and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, my entire will, all I have, and call my own. You have given it all to me, you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace, for that is enough for me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I shall God bless. I will see you next time.